0: Music, athletics,
1: arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwagner. That's right. That's me. I am Colton G. And you are tuning in to the Desert Tiger Podcast. And let me tell you, brother, wherever you're tuning in from, whoever you are and whatever you're listening on, We are extremely thankful for you tuning into this, episode 27 of the Desert Tiger Podcast. And today, our very special guest, let me tell you about him. He's a writer, he's a producer, he's a director, he's an actor, he's a jack-of-all-trades, he's a badass, and he's tearing through town. His name is Danny Mac, and he is about to hit you with his brand new movie, Heel Kick. Now let me tell you, some are saying it is the best there is, the best there ever was, and the best there ever will be. Some are claiming this is the funniest wrestling movie to ever hit the market, and I am one of those people. We're going to sit down with Mr. Danny Mac himself and we're going to discuss how he came up with the idea for Heel Kick. We're going to discuss what kind of training and preparation did Danny have to go through in order to prepare for writing a movie such as Heel Kick. What kind of things did he have to go through to prepare for the role of Reggie, the lead character in the movie Heel Kick. We're going to talk about some chest slaps, we're going to talk about some back bumps, and we're going to have a whole lot of laughs, brother. It's going to be a great time. So strap in and enjoy the ride on the Desert Tiger Podcast, baby. Alright, but in all seriousness, welcome to episode 27 of the DTP like I said, I am extremely thankful for you tuning in. Like I said, our very special guest this episode is Mr. Danny Mac, and we are going to talk to him about he how he hooked up with ECCW out in Vancouver, British Columbia, how he trained with them, how he prepared, how he got ready for his role and to write the movie Heel Kick, and all. Like I said, I actually do think this is the funniest wrestling movie out there. If you guys are fans of things like Trailer Park Boys, if you're into that mockumentary style, then you guys definitely got to get on this film. It is absolutely hilarious, and you are going to be rolling on the floor. You guys are going to be laughing your ass off. Off. You didn't think it was possible. You thought you already bumped your ass off in the ring, but no heel kick is what's finally going to do that rump in. Alright, so before we get into our interview with Mr. Danny Mac, we need to take care of a little bit of business and we need to play some music. So first off, I need to tell you about a wrestling-inspired streetwear company that was started by a ex- WWE superstar and ex-TNA wrestler, a man who trains all around the globe, who travels all around the world, taking on men and women of all kinds. I'm talking about Mr. Al Snow. That's right, Mr. Al Snow created a wrestling-inspired streetwear company to bring his love of both things together So that everybody could share that love and if you guys head on over to the collar and elbow web store you're gonna get yourself 10% off when you're checking out if you use the code DTP it's that simple DTP gets you 10% off you guys also know that I am a big audiobook guy you guys know that I'm constantly working whether I'm driving to go ref wrestling whether i'm driving to go get an interview whether i'm working building something in construction or whether i'm even just preparing for an interview you guys know that i love audiobooks so that's why we hooked up with audible to get you one free month of the audible service and one free audiobook to get you started so if you go on over to www.audible.com dtp once again that is www.audible.com/dtp and you're going to get yourself one free audiobook and one free month of the Audible service. How killer is that, guys? All right, we've already told you who our guest is. I've already shot probably my worst wrestling promo that I'm ever going to give to you guys in the world. And now we have to play some music. So I've played a couple shows with these guys back when I played in Regina in a pop punk band. And the band that I'm going to play for you guys today is Cold Front. Cold Front recently announced that they're going to be taking what is probably going to be a permanent hiatus, which means that they are done as far as they know. This saddens me very much, so I figured I would play a little bit of Cold Front's music to help celebrate their efforts, to help celebrate their art, and everything that they've done. So we're going to play the lead track off of their latest album, the title song the first single we're gonna play you this song right now by cold front it's called float around
0: so if we're both on crying don't you talk to me again because our rooms are flooded you can't sleep in a place like this It to me Don't look at me the same way And that makes it Sting, I wanna talk about What you said and all the pieces You took from me And as you float around Stop crying, or don't you talk to me again? Because our rooms are flooded, we can't sleep in a place like this. And if I'm crying Why don't you talk to me again Because our rooms are flooded We can't sleep in a place like this And if there's luck inside it We can't get holding on to me We'll you Desert Tiger Podcast.
1: Alright, we are here with Danny Mac, the man, the brains, the entire operation process behind the new film Heel Kick. How's it going, Danny? Pretty good. How are you, man? I am doing awesome. Alright, so, I mean, let's kick things off right off at the beginning. How did you get into acting? Where did it all start off?
2: Well, I've always been into it. Um, I, I, I wish I had a, a better answer than that, um, I, but I, I've just always been performing since I was, you know, three or four years old. And then um, eventually, I fell in love with writing as well, which I, I didn't realize was going to turn into a love of, of screenwriting eventually. But I always felt that writing and performing went hand in hand because you could, you know, create really entertaining sketches or, or plays or characters and then present them to everybody. So this ranged from anywhere from, you know, doing creative writing in, in class, um, you know, in like the first grade, all the way up to um, participating in plays in the French Festival in my hometown of Edmonton or um, auditioning for film and television out here in Vancouver, where I live now. So yeah, it's kind of been a lifelong pursuit.
1: Okay, so when did you actually, like, start getting into, like, acting seriously? Like, was it, like, did you do plays in high school? Like, when did you start actually, like, pursuing it?
2: Yeah, I didn't go to a very arts-friendly high school, so it, it just seemed like less and less of an option as the years went by, but I was always still, um, you know, training and keeping... Um, keeping you know, joining an agency in mind, even though that my hometown of Edmonton it's not really synonymous with a film or television community, it does have a good theater yeah. scene. You know, so, friends of mine, we were, um, we, we would uh film like YouTube uh sketches and put that stuff online for our friends, and um, and uh, eventually, you know, like we, we realized that our real love was um, was film and, and movies and television, so. After, you know, doing some doing a play in the Fringe Festival and, and doing our YouTube videos, we decided to start writing uh, our own features. And then we thought, hey, if we write this cheap enough, we could do it ourselves and then sell it and see if we can become profitable from that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was about 10 years ago, if not 12 years ago now.
1: Okay. So, like, your acting credits started with your own writing as well? Like,
2: you were writing... Exactly. yeah pretty much
1: okay awesome so where did that all start off like what was the first thing that you actually like wrote, produced and actually like got to put together
2: the first well we did a short film we did a couple of short films and when i say we i'm usually referring to my my fellow producer who's also stars in heel kick uh his name is cooper bibo he plays roger in the film the documentarian but we we uh, yeah we've done that we've done a fringe play and, and and some other things like that. But then we we decided to write a feature called Love Hate, and then we shot that, and uh, we were able to sell it to a Canadian broadcaster after we got some money together. So we put our uh, both of our own life savings into that movie in our early twenties, not knowing <laughs> you know how difficult it is to to get your film out there. We were so naive, but I think that actually helped us. So yeah, yeah. that's probably first big project that we that we did in terms of we wrote it we produced it we star in it and we edited the thing and eventually sold it ourselves
1: okay so how hard was that to actually like get that started like
2: was uh, it... impossible i'd say <laughs> <laughs> like fucking impossible yeah it, it, it was seriously if we knew how difficult it was going to be we might not have even begun yeah it, so it's like we were like, hey, let's write this thing and, and you know, we can be in it and we can put our friends in it and, and, and uh, yeah, we can shoot it on just whatever and then, you know, we can edit it and then we can just sell it to people. And, like, we thought this would all take, like, nine months, but it ended up taking, like, three and a half years from when we started uh, working on it and writing it to when we were able to get it out there and do theatrical screenings, so... Yeah, man, it's, it's, there was a steep learning curve because we never went to film school either, so we were figuring a lot out, uh, trial by fire, and, uh, yeah, it was very difficult, I'd say a 12 out of 10 on a difficulty scale.
1: <laughs> yeah, sounds like you guys were kind of flying by the seams of your pants for sure. Sure were. <laughs> All right, so tell me a little bit about Love Hate, like, what's the
2: premise about that film, like, did that it- was like our own version of like like a four-year-old virgin f- or like for 20-somethings right so it's about these three friends and they're all in different stages of relationship hell um and it was just kind of like you know like our attempt at you know it's, it's like uh it's trying to make something a little sweet but you know movies had a lot of gross out humor and, uh, and 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 shock jokes at the time so we were we were really just sort of a, a product of our environment when we were trying to shape together something that we thought might resonate with people. And, you know, we grew up so, you know, I mean, those are such formative years, your early 20s, and by the time the film is done, we were like, well, this doesn't even feel like our personalities. Um, and, and so I think that's why it's important to just keep having new projects on the go all the time because your voice is going to evolve and change. And your—and I don't know, it's just, and and also to just, you're not going to understand what your own voice is unless you start getting stuff out there and realizing, Oh, that, that is representative of, of me and my, and my talents or, or, or whatever, or it isn't. Um, mm. yeah. So that's kind of where we ended up with that film. So it basically, we treated it like our film school.
1: Huh? That's pretty awesome. Like, a lot of people would go the traditional route and usually would end up like in a news office or like behind like a light or anything like you guys just straight up like all out balls out like went
2: for it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean we had we, we we believed that we could do it and that's that was the most important part and um that was important and the other important part is nothing else sounded fun to us at all Neither of us cared if, you know, we bought a new car. Neither of us wanted to go backpack and travel around Europe. Uh, neither of us wanted to put a down payment down on a condo. So, like, all the things that our friends were doing, none of that seemed cool to us. We still wanted to create, and even if it was a failure financially or however you want to to gauge or, or measure what a failure or success would have meant for, like, a really tiny independent film, we didn't care. It was just sort of the only option for us, and... And that's what kept us going when it was so tough. Okay. Awesome.
1: So how was the reception for that film? Was it sort of what you guys had expected, or...?
2: Honestly, it was just like a very small opening. We had a couple of screenings uh, in our hometown, and one in Yellowknife where our director was born. And um, we we won um, a, a local festival for... Um, um, out of edmonton and we got into uh i think one or two film festivals but then we were just so anxious to move on that uh after we got our broadcast deal we just kind of uh yeah put it to the wayside but you know it was um for the people that saw it which are a very small handful of people um mm-hmm. they enjoyed it for what it was from what i remember but uh yeah it's not even really out there anymore so uh mm. it's it's tough to it's tough to to give a straight answer to that fair enough <laughs>
1: Okay, so that was, while well, you guys were still living out in Edmonton then?
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: Okay, so did you start getting into TV as well while you were in Edmonton, or did you move to Vancouver first?
2: No, we moved to Vancouver, um like, as soon as, like, six months after the movie was finally done and out there into the world, so... um then, then you know, uh, we all got agents as actors. Um, like five of us moved out here together, uh, and uh, then then we started to uh, you know participating instead of creating yeah. in the world of film and television.
1: Okay, so how was the uh, difference in that for you to go from being in control of everything to just like coming in and playing? just, like, an off-roll, like...
2: I think it was it was cool, like, being... Like, doing absolutely everything and running around like a chicken with its head cut off on, on the set of your own film really does not prepare you for how much sitting around and waiting you're going to do when you're on set for, for, like, a TV show or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you just have one thing to do, and you don't know when you're going to do it, and it could be a 12-hour day before you get to the scene. So, um... But on the other hand, I mean, you're able to focus 100% of your efforts on your performance. And so there's, you know, it it definitely has that element going for it. But I I was so used to juggling a ton of things. Mm -hmm. But by this point, I was like, oh, I can just read the script and relax in my trailer. This is nice. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Okay, so between
1: playing a lawyer, a fireman, a cop, a DEA officer, which one of those TV roles has sort of been your favorite
2: or best experience? Um, Geez, I don't know. It's a good question. I really liked being on uh, Bates Motel because um, mm-hmm. it's such a good show. Um, the firefighter role, I think that was from... Geez, which one was I think that's from Wayward Pines... And that scene actually got cut from the show. And oh. It's a story because that's one of the first TV things that I ever booked. And I remember telling all my friends, like, hey, I'm, I'm on this show. I got to meet M. Night Shyamalan, and he directed me in this scene. And then it took that show, like, I want to say close to three years for it to finally come out after we shot that first episode. No kidding. Like, it was in post forever. Hmm. And then when it finally came out, my scene was cut and it was this huge lead up to it every one of my friends and family knew my one line of dialogue because I, they'd say what do you say in that scene again and we just went over it and over it, <laughs> and, we all it and it wasn't even in there but it's still my first it's, I still consider it to be even though it doesn't exist it's like the kid who says he has a beautiful girlfriend up in Canada it may not be real but it's real to him damn it so
1: true So true. And it also kind of helped prepare you, I guess, for being on the uh, set and all those other things
2: prior to sort of like a practice run. It all ties in. Yeah, there's so many (laughs) learning experiences for, for any anything that you're on any set that you're on. So yeah, it's all it's all school to me. All right, awesome. So,
1: let's get into your latest project. That being Heel Kick. Mm-hmm. How was the idea for that born?
2: Um, well, I liked wrestling growing up mm-hmm. in my like very early teens. And then I sort of grew out of it, but I still loved the backstage element of the business and I found it fascinating, and I would still read wrestlers' autobiographies, even though I wasn't watching any WWE or, or pro wrestling at all. I just thought, what a fascinating subculture, and, and what an interesting world. Mm-hmm. Uh, my old cousin also loved wrestling, and he actually went to a pretty prestigious wrestling school. Um, but this was after like decades of, of talking about doing it, and then only two weeks into it, he decides it's not for him anymore, and he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. And um, it was so interesting to hear how that training, like what just turned him off about it and, and, and how, it was, how it was different than he thought it was going to be. And he yeah. just told about some of the other people in class with him and how, you know, like while he was doing it, he would tell me like some of these, some of these people are delusional. Like, they don't exercise, they don't eat properly, they're, <laughs> they, and they think they're going to they're gonna get huge one day and they do no hard work. And I just thought that that was, like, I'd like to follow those guys. And yeah. uh, I guess that's kind of where the idea came from. Hmm.
1: Okay, yeah, that's pretty awesome. All right, so before we move on to the heel kick, I kind of want to, like, touch on this while you said it. Who was your favorite wrestlers growing up, and what is your favorite
2: wrestling autobiography? Hmm, favorite wrestlers growing up, you know, the first kind of feud, or maybe even wrestlers that I saw when I started watching were Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, and being from Alberta, you know, that's like Bret Hart country, but then I thought Shawn Michaels was just so funny at the same time, and it was weird based on whatever country that they were wrestling in, they would get booed or cheered. Whether they were in Canada or the, or or the U.S. and I don't know, that was just that drew me into it because well everyone knows wrestling is staged. Here's like what appears to be like two countries going at it based on these two guys representing them. It was just a weird time to get into it, and I really liked that. So mm-hmm. those, those kind of my first and um, uh, autobiography. I think Mick Foley wrote the best. Autobiography, personally, his first book, uh, and I reread it when I was doing research for, for heel kick. When I really started getting into it, but it's fascinating, and you know, it, it's I always like hearing stories from people who aren't uh, who you would expect to, to make it and blossom in that industry, because you look at the kind of people that are on top of the game, and they're either just behemoth monsters or you know, essentially, you know, fitness models and. Mick Foley's a very just regular kind of schlumpy guy, but he worked harder than anyone and um, proved that he was just as crazy as anyone, and he's really funny and really smart, so I think his book was excellent, and it holds up to this day from what I remember. I completely
1: agree. I've read quite a few of the McFoley books, and
2: I've enjoyed every single one of them. Hmm. Yeah, his, I read his second book as well. And I read Stone Cold's and The Rock's and Goldberg's and, and a bunch of other ones. But yeah, I think it's just because Foley is such a good storyteller. And, you know, he's just a pretty multi-talented person. Um, like, that's obviously going to translate onto the page better. So I, uh, that's the one I would recommend. Definitely.
1: And I think that I think McFoley um had the pleasure of also being having like no ghostwriter really attached to it, whereas like WWE was sort of in control of like everyone else's autobiographies at the time and like they I, all that, had
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And I remember Foley talking about writing it when no one had even asked him to, and he was writing it on, on a plane that's where he began writing it on, on the way to a show or something. And this was before every wrestler had an autobiography yeah. and thought it would be interesting. He wrote one. It became a New York Times bestseller. And all of a sudden, you got to imagine that Vince McMahon or the guys at the top are saying, hey, if anyone else uh, wants us to publish your book for you, we'll get a writer in there and we'll help you do it. So I think that snowballed the, the thing.
1: Oh, yeah, like they started producing a ridiculous amount of biographies around that time. Mm hmm.
2: Yeah. It's probably. It. It's...
1: Oh, continue.
2: <laughs> I was just going to say maybe too many in a short period of time because, uh, you know, they became a little uh, overwhelming which one to catch up with. But, I mean, all those guys have really fascinating stories.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, they do, but it's it. Is it kind of oversaturated the market at the time because. How many of them can you read at once? Yeah, that's it's very true. Even though I, I think I might have
2: somehow done it, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, the only other person whose biography who like kind of felt like the least ghostwritery was like Daniel Bryan's, and that's mm. only because like the ghostwriter wrote his own section. And then Daniel Bryan just wrote his own section, like after that,
2: where he entirely gave no fucks. <sighs> that's cool. I'd rather, you know, read someone's own words, even if they aren't as eloquently placed as if they had a ghostwriter, than, than the opposite. Because, you know, you want ideas to be able to get across, uh, you know, coherently, but of course, it's nice to actually identify with that person's voice. But I guess that's what a good ghostwriter is going to do for you anyway. So mm-hmm.
1: Very true. All right, let's get back into heel kick here. So how did the like writing process like start out? Like, did you get the script like going pretty easily? Did it come to you easily? Like how much research did you actually have to put into it? And like, how did it all like how did the story come together?
2: I did as much research as I could, just reading things online, trying to get back into the world of pro wrestling, um, reading a lot of autobiographies like we discussed and watching documentaries. But um, uh, some of the script I couldn't even write until I'd done more hands-on um, research. Like I, like the movie is about two guys starting wrestling training, and I yeah. didn't really know what that looked like. So I had to research pro wrestling organizations in the city Mm -hmm. in Vancouver and meet up and see who was going to be a good fit and then see if they would also be willing to train me. And then if so, if they would want to be involved in the film in some way. So there was entire chunks of the script that were just like a brief description (laughs) until I could actually figure out what that world was. So it was easy enough for me to figure out the character arcs and and where they're going to be and what things they have to, like where they have to get to emotionally. Yeah. But uh, I, I didn't want to make a movie about independent wrestling without knowing how that world worked. So yeah. a lot of training, once I began training, informed how the script would be completed.
1: Okay, so as someone who refs wrestle, wrestling and has taken a bump or two, mm-hmm. how um, real was wrestling training once you actually got into it
2: yeah for me it, was, it felt pretty damn real like just for some context to those listening like for i i played one of the backyard wrestlers in the film and in real life i had to train for six months um to to do what we see in the movie so i, I was you know i was legitimately in training with everyone else it wasn't some actor's crash course i just inserted myself into the regular classes with the ECCW. And um, I don't know, some people, I asked everyone, like, how did your first bump feel? And a bump is just, you know, when you fall and and hit the mat. And a lot of people, an overwhelming amount of people would say, yeah, it wasn't that bad. But my first bump sucked. And it it was brutal. And I I would ask everyone else, like, really? That wasn't rough to you? And they'd say, yeah, yeah, it kind of was not great. But I was like, but me, I was like, I'm going to get broken in half. And the only thing that made me feel better was I was listening to an interview with Kurt Angle, who's an Olympic gold medalist and a WWE Hall of Famer, and he said his first bump hurt so bad that he quit wrestling for like a year. Uh, like year. <laughs> and he convinced to go back into it. So at least I'm in good company complaining about my first bump. But yeah, it's you know you you, you find new things that hurt <laughs> after a while. You do get used to taking bumps. Oddly enough, I, I missed taking bumps if that's not the craziest shit you've ever heard like once we stopped shooting and i didn't need to train anymore i missed the feeling of of getting slammed down onto the mat i don't know what that's all about i don't know what that says about me
1: it's it's an adrenaline rush i can completely understand it not only are you acting live but it's just like just everything in the moment just flows to you Mm -hmm.
2: yeah it's like theater you've got to bleed for It it just feels all the more intense
1: I can completely agree with that it's one of the reasons why I love it the desert tiger podcast All right, you guys know what time it is already. It's time for us to pay a few more bills, play a little bit more music, and then we're going to get right back in the ring with Danny Mac to talk a little bit more about heel kick and a few other things. Alright, so first off and foremost, you guys know I got to talk a little bit more about that collar and elbow. Have you guys checked out the web store yet? They have just dropped that spring line and it is fresh. Have you guys seen the imitation tee? It is awesome. Two tigers. Kind of in like a little yingy yangy shape. I mean, he kind of beat me to that one, so I'm going to have to change it up a bit. They got that eagle diving on the risk tee. They got that union, that wrestling union tee. Blue and yellow. Mmm, looks super smooth. And maybe you're into that grizzled. Maybe you're into that traditional look. Well, if you're into any of the new line on Collar and Elbow, or if you're into any of the previous stuff they drop, as I told you before in the show, and like I'm about to tell you again, you can save yourself a solid 10% off any order you guys make at the Collar and Elbow web store simply by using the code DTP when you guys are checking out. It's that simple. It's that easy. You guys save yourself 10%. Off some sick wrestling inspired streetwear, you guys are going to look fresh, you're going to support the Cauliflower Alley, you're going to support wrestlers all over the world, everybody wins, it's a great time, everyone's happy. So why not head on over to that collar and elbow web store, check out that new spring line, use the code DTP when you're checking out, save yourself 10% and get yourself some fresh new clothes. Alright, before we tell you about our other sponsor, before we pay the rest of our bills, you guys know I gotta play you a little bit more Cold Front. That's right, we got more. Oh yeah, baby. And this next song is called So Typical. about that time for our audible audiobook of the week and for our audible audiobook of the week we are going to feature yes that's right yes the biography of well autobiography of daniel bryan there is a ghostwriter but daniel bryan does not give a single fuck about that and just writes his own parts completely separate from the ghostwriter, just leaving the ghostwriter to completely sound like a narrator the entire time. Because Daniel Bryan gives no shits, and that's what makes Yes such an awesome read and such an awesome listen. And I'm going to tell you how you guys can possibly get Yes in audiobook form for free free what that's right free if you head on over to www.audible.com/dtp what was that that was www.audible.com/dtp you're going to you can sign up for the audible service you're going to get yourself one free month of audible plus one free audiobook You can use that on whatever you want, whether you're into science fiction, fantasy, whether you're into nonfiction, whether you're into biographies, whatever you're into, chances are they have it. They have literally thousands on thousands on thousands of audiobooks in this service. So why don't you head on over to www.audible.com slash DTP today Get yourself that one free month. Get yourself that free audiobook. And use it on something like Yes by Daniel Bryan. Alright, without further ado, we're going to get back in the ring with my man, Danny Mac.
0: The Desert Tiger Podcast.
1: Alright, so... Once you actually, like, got into it, got training, like, how was the ECCW crew? Like, I know that, like, Scotty Mack is one of the big guys in the film. Like, who else did you work with? How was your experiences with all those people?
2: Also in the film, uh, yeah, Scotty Mack is our head uh, trainer in the film, as he kind of was in real life, too, along with Ravenous Randy, who was, I think, one of the last... Uh, Stampede wrestling champions and and one of the last people to train in the famous uh, Hart Family Dungeon in Calgary before it closed. Um, So he has a lot of uh, experience and and a cool lineage that he comes from. Uh, As well, Sid Silum was in the movie and uh, one of our big trainers as well. And, you know, people who weren't in the film um, were still responsible for putting us through the ringer quite a bit. Uh, Dave Bishop and Nicole Matthews and Artemis Spencer. So we had like, we were so fortunate to have really talented people train us all the time. And, and, you know, we were training with people that would go on to do great things. And I think the Bollywood boys from the ECCW are, who are now the Singh brothers in WWE. They were there at the same time. Oh, nice. I, yeah, that's right. Uh, the ECCW produces a lot of great talent. Daniel Bryan came out of there at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was training with uh, Chelsea Green, who's Laurel Van Ness from Impact Wrestling at the same time. And, yeah, so, like, not only are the the teachers superb and have decades of experience between them, but the people in class, you know, the ones who stick around are serious about it. and, And so I had the benefit of working with a ton of great people.
1: Awesome. That is fantastic. If you had to pick a favorite
2: wrestler from who you got to work with, who would you have to say would be the top? I don't know. I'm not going to pick Scotty by default because uh I think I think we're too close and it might fog my fog my memory of how good or harsh she really was at the time. But uh I don't know, man, I really loved I think uh Sid Silum and Ravenous Randy, they would train us together usually. Yeah. And I loved those classes with those two because they could really they were really supportive, and, and uh, they really broke things down in a way that you could understand if you're not necessarily an athletic type. Yeah. Uh, but they knew how to push you, and they knew when to hold back, and they knew how to make you comfortable. So, you know, we weren't often in a situation where, like, we the students felt like freaked out to be in the ring everyone is pretty level-headed and doesn't have a chip on their shoulder there'd be a few days where like a trainer was was not in a good mood and you would get your ass whooped and i'm not going to say no one you know like passed out or no one threw up or or nothing like that because those those days definitely did happen um but uh, for the most part i found it to be a really great you know partnership and and form some really good relationships with these people
1: Awesome. That's pretty cool.
2: All so, you can ask for, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. So did the filming of Heel Kick start like while you guys were in training, or did that start happening like afterwards?
2: It was all over itself. I, I trained for three months, and then we started shooting the movie. And then we didn't shoot the final scene of the film, which is a live match at a live show. Um, for three more months, I trained for another three months and then, and then we went back once I, you know, myself and uh, Chris Wilcox who plays Maurice once we were confident enough to do that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it essentially only took like a month to shoot the movie. Okay. But, um, but it took place over like three months and, and with three months of training before then.
1: Okay, so like quite a bit of time invested into preparing for it and getting to know what you're getting into and everything, which is very admirable.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Okay, so what were some of the challenges
2: you encountered while filming Heel Kick? Uh, I mean, anytime you're going to do an independent film, I guess getting the money together is always a challenge. So, you know, I was uh, still knocking on some investors' doors when we were (laughs) we're already into the first week of shooting with money that, you know, we should have had already. But it all came in and and worked out just fine. Um, Another challenge was that final scene of the movie, uh, because in that live wrestling show, those aren't extras in the crowd. Those are actual fans going to an ECCW show. Yeah. We just inserted our match into one of their real shows. So we had to be good enough that we could entertain them, and we wouldn't be able to call cut and get it from different angles because, again, these aren't extras. We weren't going to order them around or tell them how to react. It was important to us that we got a legitimate indie wrestling crowd and their real reaction to our match. So we had quadrupled the amount of cameras that day, and mm-hmm. we had to plan for it as best as possible, and we pulled it off. But I think that was definitely our most nerve-wracking day there would be no second chances there. If we missed a camera angle, if we missed a move, if, we, if the people who were not supposed to get booed got booed from the crowd, that was going to be a trouble to fix in editing. So mm-hmm. everything had to go perfectly. It basically had to be a perfect opening night of a ballet that has never been rehearsed before is, is the way that I like to explain it. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of pressure on us. I'd say that was the biggest challenge. Okay,
1: awesome. So were you, did you guys kick off the show? or you like mid-card? Like where were you we inserted? Were
2: first thing. We were the very first match, yeah.
1: Oh, wow. So you guys had to actually like set the bar.
2: Yeah, we, and we, <laughs> we tried our best and we, we did pretty damn good. And I had, uh, through the years, been able to talk to some of the fans who, who went to that show and they're diehard ECCW fans up here, and and they all said that, you know, they they thought it was just part of the regular show, you know? They didn't really think twice about the film cameras being there or anything, so... Hmm.
1: Cool. So,
2: did everybody
1: actually, like, have a decent reaction to the match, then?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you see it in the film, that's the the answer right there. (laughs) That's, That's their legitimate reaction, so... Awesome. So yeah, it it definitely worked out.
1: Okay, cool. So like what were some of your favorite
2: parts of that match? Like There's a f- I won't even say cuz some of my favorite parts are in the film and okay, they're spoilery, yeah. but yeah, there's a few big uh, moments that uh were just cool to finally do and and one in particular marked literally the end of shooting. So uh, it adds special resonance to me. So it, they'll be easy to spot if you check out the film.
1: Okay, definitely. Um, I have been trying to check out the film for like the last four days, but for some reason <laughs> PayPal will not let me pay iTunes.
2: Oh, jeez! Well, it's also on Amazon and Google Play. I don't know if PayPal can make that an easier experience for you over there. but
1: Who knows? I'll have to try it out because I definitely <laughs> want to check out the film.
2: Yeah, I'd love for you to see it.
1: All right. So, from what I've seen in the reviews of the film, you guys have sort of taken like a trailer park boys sort of mockumentary style to filming. What made you decide on that style of presentation and was there any difficulty
2: with trying to do things that way? I love mockumentaries and they are they also feel inherently Canadian even though you know, they're not, but um, I I thought that it would work well for this, especially because we didn't have time to do shot lists, and we wanted a lot of uh, improvisation to be allowed on set, so I don't know, just having someone hold a camera and kind of run with the action seemed like the best bet, Uh, especially for, you know, scenes where we're trying to capture the guys at wrestling school running around, you don't really know what's going to happen, so it it just fit everything much better, and you know, there's a whole storyline about the, the the actual documentarian and heel kick coming a little closer with the with the wrestlers, and that always just stemmed from how much I love being on set and and working on a film with your friends, and how everyone becomes a family afterwards. So I was, you know, an easy way to bring that across is to make the film crew an actual part of the film, mm-hmm. and it actually only made things easier um, because you know if. If the boom mic was in the shot, guess what? You don't have to do that take again because it just looks more like a documentary. So there would be times when I wanted there to be a boom mic in the shot and things to look a little uglier just so that it would play more as a documentary. And after we had done some screenings across North America, we'd do a Q&A after, and at almost all the screenings, someone would put up their hand and say, I thought that this was a documentary until just this moment. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I loved it. and. Some people have compared it to Trailer Park Boys. We get a lot of uh, people comparing it to Spinal Tap, and uh, really the biggest inspiration was The Office, actually. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So a couple people have pointed that out as well. Okay, cool.
1: So <laughs> talking about like the things that inspired it, what did like what did you draw your inspiration from besides like say The Office or Spinal Tap or
2: I mean, those are the big ones. There's another uh, Canadian independent mockumentary called Foo Bar, which is oh. like just, uh, I mean, anyone who's seen it knows how special of a movie that is, that how is weak- amazing. specific it is. So we I took a lot from all of those things because I just thought they are weird and they work so well. And and The Office didn't like really pick up until Steve Carell had a few mega movie hits on his hands either, and so I, I'm not even sure if people gave that show a chance because they realized how sharp and subtle the comedy was, or if all of a sudden it's because there's movie stars on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I just thought that really underplayed, almost dull delivery was so, so funny. And that's what you're going to get from all those films, from anywhere from Spinal Tap up to The Office, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, cool. So did you end up like... What was your biggest, like, did you have any big bruises? Did you get injured at all during the training process or filming process? Like, was everything pretty safe?
2: Everything was pretty safe because, you know, we took training seriously and our teachers are really good. But, you know, I got knocked unconscious one day. I didn't duck low enough for a big clothesline. Someone took a mighty swing at me and I, I didn't get low enough. So it just, like, clocked me right in the top of the head. So I was out for a second or two there. And then I think uh Chris, who plays Maurice, he blew his knee out really close to shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were in the ring. So we were like, uh oh, I hope this guy can walk by the time the cameras start rolling. And then you know, obviously bumps and bruises along the way, but no, no serious injuries. Okay. Awesome. That's good. So you get
1: to like you've worked with a lot of the same people on say love hate heel kick and some of your other projects that you've possibly been working on Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so
1: a lot of people don't get that so how like how does that make you feel like is it a privilege is it an honor like how does like being around people constantly and like knowing who they are and like their styles and everything like how how does that benefit filming something like heel kick
2: I think hugely because if you have a good rapport with the actors and 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 the crew and and everything like that just uh, you're going to understand everyone's workflow and you're going to get better performances out of people if if they have a certain comfort level with each other especially in a comedy where you you know you want to trust each other's timing and and someone's ability to set you up for a joke or to take it home so yeah it just all goes back to collaborating with with people who have the same level of weird as you do and and you just want to stay on their wavelength and vice versa so that you can keep making stuff that that speaks to you and then hopefully other people gravitate towards that as well so yeah i mean i always advise people to start yeah just messing around with their friends if, if if they're trying to look to where to get started find your your goofy buddies that that only you guys think certain things are funny and then turn that into something and then You'd be surprised how many people will appreciate it if you can get your voice out. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: All right. So, besides the final scene, the match. Do you have another like? Do you have like a favorite scene from the film?
2: Um, I really like. There's a big. Uh, we call it the steroid scene. Um, it takes place in in Reggie's bathroom. Just the reaction of the crowd in the, in the screenings when we would play that scene was just the weirdest roller coaster—a mixture of of worry and then laughter and then shock and then fear and then laughter again. So that one just—I I can still hear the sounds of the crowd watching it. Uh, so that one holds special resonance to me, as well as that was one of the first times where we did a scene. And uh, and after we had finished shooting it, it was so fun, and then the crew just started applauding, and we're like, okay, let's do that like ten more times. Let's do this until it's not fun anymore. And that, so that was just one of those scenes that it, it could almost be its own – you could almost make a short film out of just that one scene. Um, and it tells a lot about the characters as well, but it's also – it's just one of those things where when you think about professional wrestling what stuff comes to mind and i knew i had to have a scene like that in heel kick if i was to do people's imaginations justice Mm
1: -hmm. definitely okay so what like what would you like to see from heel kick like i've you've already gotten like quite a few like really big reviews like on imbd you guys have an amazing rating like what would you like to see possibly more from heel kick like you guys where's the bar what would you like
2: to happen i I mean i don't It's I don't think it's any filmmaker's goal to be a, a cult classic because that generally means a movie didn't pick up steam until much later and then it's revered but it might be too late by then. It, you know, there's a lot of negativity that goes along with the term cult classic, but in this case I think that would be very cool and dare I say we're on our way to doing that. Um, obviously, the movie's only been out for like just over a month, and it's still really fresh, and people are enjoying it, so we're kind of in this honeymoon phase with it right now, so we just want to get as many people to buy the film and, and check it out and support independent film and independent wrestling as possible, and uh, just see how many more good reviews we can rack up. Yeah, it is pretty astounding how, how good the, that was, especially... When I think back to how long it took us to edit the film and wondering, are these jokes even funny anymore? Does this movie even make sense? You you just watch something so many times. It's like when you say a word over and over and it loses its meaning. So to get it out there and and have people say that they loved it, um, God, it's it's a long, it was a long time coming, but uh, we were very happy to hear those reactions.
1: Well, that's good. I'm glad that you guys were able to have a warm reception and hopefully that continues.
2: Yeah, I think if we could be known as like the funniest wrestling movie of all time, that would be great, and uh, even just one of the best wrestling movies of all time. There's not a ton, ton of them, but there are some not-so-good ones out there, and there's some very good ones out there, and I think that the Heel Kick belongs at the very top with all the other great ones, but uh, I'll leave that to other people to decide, I guess.
1: True. It's you. you everybody holds it in their own esteem, right? Of course, yeah. <laughs> okay, so do you have any other future plans with writing, producing, filming, acting? What's in the works for Danny Mac?
2: Um, I'm always uh, I'm always auditioning and uh, and uh, and uh, acting in in everything big and small out here. Um, that seems interesting to me um, as a performer. And in the, uh, in the meantime, I'm, I'm writing all the time. So, uh, of any genre and any sort. Um, and I, but I would like to write another thing soon that is like heel kick that, that I think that I could shoot myself. Yeah. Um, and just a really good way to grow as, you know, a budding director, which is, you know, arguably, um, a thing that, uh, I could, um, learn the most about still. And, um, you always learn so much more about producing once you produce a film. And, uh, yeah, I, I, so I think just always uh, doing some kind of writing or some kind of performing to stay sharp. And then once the next thing clicks and I know exactly what it's going to be, I'll be poised and ready to, to make it as good as possible. But I have a couple ideas kicking around. I, I won't say just yet, but I could see uh, I could see a, a spiritual successor to Heel Kick being not too far off on the horizon. Hmm. Awesome.
1: So, what are some of your interests outside of acting?
2: Um, let's see here. God, I'm such a boring actor guy who just, <laughs> his life is consumed with this stuff. But, um, I, I really like video games, um our co-producer is greg miller he's this big name in the video game world and a youtube star and um it's been really cool to have him partner up with us to help spread the word on the movie um because he's deep in the world of video games so if there's ever something really exciting and inside that that regular folk wouldn't know about i'll ask him if he has any insights on it and i'll get the scoop but uh yeah i've been a big gamer for a while and um my uh, my uh, producing partner, Cooper Bebo, is working on a, a script for uh, Sonic the Hedgehog right now. That's just a passion project, but um, who knows, it, it could lead to some other really cool things. So we're always looking to try to merge the video game and film world, worlds together, because I think we've all been burned or disappointed, any video game fans, by some film adaptations in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And aside from that, I am getting to be, I would say, a C... Or C plus level cook, but probably not even that good. So yeah, there's a whole new art form that I'm I've got to go to school for that now. <laughs> nice.
1: What kind of video games do you enjoy playing?
2: Uh, I'm a big um, I don't know. Like I really loved uh, Mario Odyssey that came out just last year, and uh, Breath of the Wild. I haven't played too much, but it's you know. I don't really want to play it unless I can commit, like, five hours, because it's just such a sprawling, huge open world, Um, but it's fantastic. I've always been a big Nintendo guy, so, like, the Mario Kart series is good, and I think today they announced there's another Smash Brothers game coming this year.
1: I did not see that, but nice!
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a really cool video reveal you should check out. Um, I don't know, I'm a huge fan of the Tekken series, and... um, And, uh, geez, I was playing Cuphead the other day, and, uh, I mean, so great, so great, just punishing, and, uh, yeah, I'm still playing Gears of War 4, I just, something about the Gears multiplayer just feels absolutely perfect to me, I don't know why, but it speaks to me, and... And I can't wait to play Detroit. Uh I I gotta buy a PS4 really soon here. There's so many good games coming out for, for PlayStation this year. So and of course, you know, whenever Last of Us Two comes out, I will drop anything I'm doing to to play that. So yeah, you know, a mix of the big stuff and some of the little stuff as well. We're actually producing a video game. Um Cooper is uh, hard at work on a game called Billy Saves the World, which he is uh like, just, it's his baby. He's, he's been working on it for six or seven years now, oh, and wow. uh, I'm a, uh, a pretty uh, hands-off producer on the project, so I'm excited for that to come out, but keep your eyes peeled for that, because that will be our first foray into releasing a video game. Okay,
1: so what is your involvement on that?
2: I uh, I uh, help with some of uh, the story, and uh, I'm, I'm basically there as a script consultant and uh, and trying to make some connections, but um, beyond that, it, it was more, um, you know, it's a lot of just us supporting each other on, on each other's projects. Whenever, you know, someone has uh, something they need a hand on, the other person will put their skill set in to, to make the project run more smoothly or come out quicker, so you know, it's just sort of a utility belt of, of tasks that we can do for one another to, to earn that producer stamp.
1: Mm-hmm. That's it—is help out your friends, and you'll That's the way.
2: hopefully all your friends do cool shit, and then you can help them, and they'll help you with your cool shit, and then there will be much cool shit for everyone.
1: So much cool shit for the world because <laughs> the world just needs more cool
2: shit. The world needs all the cool shit.
1: All the cool shit, man. <laughs> so speaking about not cool shit, what is the worst video game movie adaptation?
2: Oh my god. It's got it's gotta be the Super Mario Brothers movie, right? Like I I, I had a feeling you were gonna
0: say that.
2: <laughs> it, like even like preference aside, or like if you love Mario or don't <laughs> or whatever like is there could there even be a worse like that might just be one of the worst movies period of all time not even yeah it's if you thought resident evil extinction didn't live up to your expectations like fucking watch the mario brothers movie yeah (laughs) right it's like your eyes out people complaining about video game movies today is
1: like "You, you didn't have to deal with the early 90s man
2: Oh dude, it was it was a rough scene. It was a very rough scene. Uh, but that one is just like I don't know. I, I I don't know if anyone at one point was like, "Hey, does this feel like insane and frightening and nothing like the video game?" To anyone, <laughs> like no one spoke up for years until the movie came out. So that one is not only just terrible, but it's like a mystery. Like I don't even know how a movie got that terrible. No, it's, it's almost the like room or something. It's just bizarre. <laughs>
1: See the room is like hilarious and how terrible it is when it comes to Mario. It just makes you wonder: is
2: like, have they even ever like seen what this is? <laughs> yeah, that is the difference. Like, the room is still watchable because it's somehow fascinating, but the Mario Brothers movie is like, I can't look at this anymore. Like, I, I have a headache. <laughs>
1: That's it. It's like I, I I've dealt with Mario Paint, like Mario RPG was balling, Like I've dealt with all the Mario sports games, but like this this just has
2: absolutely nothing to do with Mario. Yeah, it's super wacky. I'm um, that one. We may never figure out the origins of that. I I don't think
1: that they ever want to release the origins of that. I think everybody just signed a hush
2: hush deal. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's your next uh, disaster artist right there the making of that movie.
1: <laughs> uh, we'll see if it gets nearly as big. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before I ask you my last
2: question here, Danny,
1: where can people find Heel Kick and where can people find you?
2: Uh, Heel Kick is on iTunes and Amazon and Google Play and a couple other places. Right now, go check it out. Um, You can learn everything you want about Heel Kick um, at Heel Kick Movie on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to find me, I'm the underscore Danny Mac on Twitter and Instagram.
1: All right. Awesome. So as someone who just jumped into his passion and his dreams... What would you have, like, for any words of encouragement for anyone else that possibly wants to do something like that? Pursue making, writing their own film and actually putting it out themselves and actually going through all that. Because, like we said at the beginning of this, it's really hard and can be really overwhelming when you look at things like budget and everything else.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, geez. Uh, well, I would say you need to have a combination of craziness and expectations. For example, when, when I'm making a movie and I know I want to put everything into it, I'm not just going nuts. Uh, when I'm writing the film, I'm keeping budget in mind. Mm-hmm. When I'm creating my budget and trying to figure out how much post-production will cost, I'm thinking about how many copies of the film I can realistically sell to break even. And that will help inform how big your movie should be, and that will help inform what your business plan will look like when you try to reach out to um, potential investors. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, don't get hung up on the details. If, If it's a matter of you're not going to make a movie because you're waiting for the stars to align, you should just pull the trigger and find yourself on set and doing something and then the rest will follow as long as you're somewhat responsible so i would just say go for it there's way too many people that talk and wait and wait on other people to give them permission but you would be surprised what you and a couple of friends could roll up your sleeves and do yourselves. so really anyone can do it it just requires um you to make that decision that you are going to complete this thing awesome that's a great answer Hopefully that was yeah, that does something for someone, <laughs>
1: all right, I actually have a friend of mine who is starting production on his own film, so I asked that question specifically for him
2: well i hope I hope that he uh, gets some value out of that. I know um, yeah, the stars don't always align, but uh you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take off eventually
1: all right, awesome, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Danny. Hey, it was my pleasure. It was nice talking to you awesome thank you so much
2: cheers man cheers
1: all right how awesome was that you guys get out there get crazy chase some dreams do some things do what you want get out there and do the things that you want to do and i gotta give a huge shout out to danny mac for those words of wisdom at the end and for giving me such a great interview for sitting down with me and sharing his experiences as an actor for sharing how he came up with the idea for heel kick and for sharing how he prepared for the film and some of the challenges they went through Um, for sharing how awesome it was for him to work with that ECCW crew I haven't been to one of their shows yet, but I plan on making my way down to one of them soon. I hear that they're fantastic. If you're in Vancouver, you should definitely check them out. And if you guys are into comedy, then you guys definitely have to check out Heel Kick Movie. Whether you're checking it out on iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, Amazon, this movie is absolutely hilarious. Like I told you, it is probably the funniest wrestling movie that is out there on the market it is actually probably one of the funnier movies i've actually ever seen in my life it is absolutely hilarious like i can attest that steroid scene man that steroid scene is hilarious you guys need to see that stuff So, huge shout-out to Danny. Huge shout-out to the Thirsty Robot crew and everybody else that was involved. Huge shout-out to ECCW. Everybody that was involved in this film, you guys did a great job. I thought it was hilarious. And if you are listening to this, you guys might need to go pick up this film. All right, I also need to give a big thank you for my sponsors who helped me bring you this show once a week, every single week, for free. And I got to thank you guys for supporting those sponsors, because if you didn't, that, that relationship wouldn't work. So thank you guys for getting out here, for listening to the podcast, for hitting that subscribe button, for supporting our great sponsors, for doing every single thing that you do, for sharing the podcast, for... Every single thing you guys do. You guys kick ass. I love you. We have listeners all over the world, and you guys are the lifeblood of this podcast. Thank you so much. All right, as you guys know, we like to end most of our episodes off with a quote. We like to say all of our episodes, but let's face it. I was a little bit lazy in the beginning of doing things, and it's about time that I stepped things up. So that's just me admitting that I have failed, and that's personally okay. But today, our quote is going to be from Václav Haval. Work for something because it is good, not just because it stands the chance to succeed. Alright everybody, have a great weekend, and if you don't know what to do with your weekend, maybe you should pick up Heel Kick. Alright everyone, peace out. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review.
0: iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for listening.